Hello and welcome back to Warrior Walker. We're so glad you joined us and we hope that you, your family and your loved ones are safe. If you or anyone you know is struggling with feeling like they might be being abused or they are being abused or you are being abused, please call the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. It's all confidential. Uh, it won't be reported back to your abuser or anything like that. You are safe with them. So <laughs> I ran out of time my last podcast episode and the Holy Spirit is telling me to create a part two with who not to choose for support. Um, I can tell you that people have well-meaning intentions. Christian godly people are not going to understand the dynamics of abuse, especially in a Christian marriage. Um, even some pastors, some people in leadership in the church, some deacons, <laughs> and some very well-meaning Christian friends who believe in marriage at all costs and don't realize maybe even that they believe in marriage at all costs, they're going to try to help you. And their intentions are pure and their hearts are good and they mean so well, but their primary goal is reconciliation. And unfortunately, reconciliation is usually not possible with an abusive husband, especially a Christian one or someone who claims to be a Christian. I mentioned in part one that I'm now questioning whether an abusive husband can possibly be a Christian because the Bible tells us that even though we're not supposed to judge others um, and will be judged with the same measure with which we judge, the Bible also tells us that we'll know them by their love, we'll know them by their fruit. For me personally, my opinion is when someone's abusing someone else, that is not godly Christian fruit. So while I personally also believe that I cannot judge someone's heart, because Samuel tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. To me, I question whether a man who's abusing his wife is a Christian, because if he were truly a Christian, in my mind, he wouldn't be abusing her. The Bible and the Bible calls husbands, Christian husbands, to love their wives sacrificially, the way Christ loved the church. And the Bible calls Christian husbands to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Someone who is abusing his wife isn't following either of those two commands that God gives them in the Bible. Now, while we're wives and it's not our job to make sure our husbands do what they're told in the Bible, it's also not our job to submit to a husband who's abusing us. And it's not our job to submit to a husband who's not loving us sacrificially and who's not, um, and I'm talking about in extreme cases like abuse. I'm not talking about the husband who's really trying. Um, there, there's kind of a fine line sometimes in that. So I can tell you some examples of who not to choose for your support group by sharing some of my own experiences with you. Um, there was a pastor at our old church once who forced me, I'm guessing my ex-husband at the time, husband at the time, my ex-husband now, I'm guessing he went and spoke to this pastor. But this pastor, after a church service one Sunday, spontaneously required me to stand at the front of the sanctuary with my husband 
and this pastor and me and tell my husband in front of him that I forgave my husband for abusing me. First of all, I had already forgiven him. Secondly, that should have never been handled the way it was. And so, like I started to allude to in part one of this podcast, these people, the, the pastor, he meant well. I knew in his heart he meant well. It was embarrassing for me. It was untruthful because I had already forgiven my husband. Just because you forgive someone doesn't necessarily mean you trust them again. And you shouldn't. You can't trust someone who has repeatedly abused you. And guess what? If someone slaps you, hits you, shoves you, strangles you, chokes you, etc. once, they will do it again. Especially if there are no consequences for the first time. And I'm not saying it's your fault if you didn't give them consequences. Because again, an abuser makes a choice to abuse you. So later, thankfully, this pastor did apologize to me. Um, and so I give him credit for that. Uh, that was unusual in my opinion. I don't think most would do that. Um, another time was uh, we were homeschooling. I was homeschooling our children and a well-meaning family who was also homeschooling their children. When they found out there was abuse, they tried to mediate and they tried to help us and intervene. And it only made things worse. I found out later that the reason they did that was because uh, one of them had had an affair and cheated on their spouse and they made it through. So I think they thought, oh, well, if we can make it through an affair and cheating, then they can make it through abuse. Right. But that's not the way abuse works, unfortunately. The thing is with abuse, the dynamics and nuances are so different. They're completely different than any other issue. And unless you've gone through it yourself, you don't understand it. You don't know how it works. And believe me, trust me, you don't want to know. And I'm very glad you don't know if you don't know. Um, and so people naively assume that it can be handled like other things can be handled. But you can't. Because much like rape, unfortunately, abuse is a, a, a dynamic about power and control. An abuser wants to control you. He wants power over you. He wants you there to serve his needs. And in my experience and from the research I've done over the past 12 plus years now, um, actually it's been probably since 2003, so about 20 years now, um, which was when my ex-husband strangled me. It was 20 years ago. Wow, it's been crazy a long time. Years fly by, I'll tell you. Um, they want power and control over you. Most abusers in my research and experience are narcissistic or narcissists. Um, they're very selfish. In part one of this podcast, I talked about um, how my ex-husband was upset with me when he overheard me on a phone call with a female friend telling them what he had done wrong. He was upset because I was destroying his public image, which at the time, you know, he was working his manipulation tactics on me and I didn't realize it. But now that I'm out of that and much healthier, looking back at it in hindsight, never once did he ask me if I was okay. If you pay attention, you'll notice and you'll observe if you observe closely 
that the narcissists care only about themselves. The abusers care only about themselves. They don't ever ask you if you're okay. Especially, or at least, not about something they're doing wrong. Another example in my case was in 2003, in November of 2003, after my ex-husband strangled me. He called me from his jail cell the very next day, or from the jail, and he said, are you going to press charges? Never did he ask, are you okay? He never displayed remorse of any kind. It wasn't, oh my gosh, what did I do to my wife? Is she okay? It was all about him. Are you going to press charges? That's very typical of an abuser. I would say you should have, as part of your support network, in case you need it, a lawyer. And when you choose your, and some of them will work pro bono, which means that they don't win a case or they don't get paid unless they win your case. Um, it's not always easy to find, but it is out there. Um, there are also, you can search, call your city and ask for, you know, you can call the sheriff's office, the police station. You can ask for free resources in the community. There are places that supply, will supply you with free legal resources if you cannot afford them, which typically women who are being abused cannot afford them. Um, I would also advise that the person in your support group that you get as a counselor, ideally, they should be someone who has experience with abuse, especially with narcissists. Um, they're going to understand your dynamics on a level that no one else will. Unfortunately, most churches and even most pastors are not trained in this, although I have seen at least one church that is starting to work toward that, and that is excellent news. I'm so happy about that. Um, thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, but, you know, their main ministry is reconciliation, as it should be, because we do want people to come to know Jesus. Um, but... I still believe God doesn't want, and I always will, the Bible says that God wants us to have a good future. So you should not choose someone who, in your support network, you should not choose a counselor who's a marriage counselor, because marriage counselors are also all about reconciliation. Save the marriage at all costs. Make the church look good. Make God look good. They're not really a ministry that it's about keeping you safe or protecting you in my experience and in my research. Um, you need someone, some people to support you, especially a counselor or therapist who understands the dynamics of abuse and who understands narcissism. Um, so do not, so let's see, I shared with you about the well-meaning couple and I shared with you about the pastor um, there was a third one I wanted to share with you. Oh, I know who it was. <laughs> it was a deacon in our, one of our other old churches. Um, we went to a couple for several years, about three of them. But, um, there was a deacon in our old church that was in our small group, our family group, we used to call it. And this was after the third and final separation. My ex-husband, unbeknownst to me at the time, I discovered later through the advice, the accurate and godly advice of our church finance person 
um, later, not, but at the time I hadn't spoken with our church finance person yet, but later I just had discovered that my ex-husband was trying to drain his 401k account, account, 401k account, so that I could not get my share, which was half of it, because we were legally married. And in our state of Indiana, um, when you're married and you're the homemaker, half of your husband's 401k account belongs to you and is legally and rightfully yours. So I later discovered that my ex-husband, when I was separated the third and final time before I finally filed for divorce, he was trying to drain that 401k account so I couldn't get my half of it. Because once it's gone, I can't get the money, right? Um, but I didn't know that at the time. And I had gone to a deacon for help. And again, I don't blame him. Abusers are excellent at deceiving people. It's what they do. I mean, they've been doing it for years, so they're very, very good at it. They've basically mastered the craft, in my opinion. Sadly, it's a craft. Isn't that awful? What? Let's put that on our resume. What are you good at? Oh, I'm good at manipulating and abusing people that trust me and love me. Wow. Okay. Next. <laughs> Don't you wish that could happen? Anyway, but they hide everything. They're, they're masters at it. Uh, they're like the marriage con artist, if you will. So anyway, um, I had separated from my ex-husband and so he needed a place to stay. So he had decided that he was going to buy a mobile home. So he bought a mobile home to live in for himself to live in, not too far from where I lived, claiming that he wanted to see his children who he had ignored for a month. But, you know, that was just another of his manipulation tactics. And, um, he called me and wanted me to go to the, to meet him at the bank because since we were still legally married, he needed a notary to sign. He needed my signature in front of a bank notary so that he could withdraw what he claimed to be $1,500 from his 401k because we were still married, which should have given me a clue right there, but I'm so naive. I always believe the good in people, even when they've shown me repeatedly the bad, although I'm starting to get wiser in my old age, my older years. Um, but he needed me to sign this paper, this paper so he could in front of a bank notary so that he could get what he claimed to be was $1,500 out of his 401k, which he claimed he was going to use to put new flooring in the mobile home he had just purchased, which he did. When I arrived in the deacon, I kept telling the deacon, I don't want to go. He's trying to trick me. I don't know what he's up to, but I know him well enough to know he's up to something. So I was still naive, but I no longer trusted him. The deacon, well-meaning intentions, believing that, you know, I was probably exaggerating or making it up. I don't know, whatever, not wanting to believe that my ex-husband could or would ever do such a thing, encouraged me. Well, why don't you just go do it and sign it and then you'll be rid of him. You'll be done with him and you never have to talk to him again. And I looked at the deacon like, are you kidding me? And I looked at him and I said, you know, I think if I sign this, it's going to start something, not in something. I think he's going to want that's going to be the a press, set a precedent and he's going to think I'll sign anything and want to do it again and again and again. But, you know, I listened to my well-meaning church deacon who thought my ex-husband had good intentions also. And I trusted him and I didn't trust myself. I had and I tried to stick up for myself. But once again, I wasn't listened to by the deacon. 
I knew you know more about it than anyone else because you live with your abuser. Okay, so don't let people talk you out of what you know to be true like I did. So dummy me believing, you know, starting to have hope because the deacon had put it in me again, in spite of all the proof I had otherwise, went to the bank to sign the supposedly $1,500 paper for my ex-husband to allegedly get him out of my life. And I get there and I look at the paper. It doesn't say 1500 It says $4,000. At this point, there was only 13000 left in his 401k because I didn't realize he was draining it. And I looked at him and I said, why does it say 4000 here? He's like, what? I said, why does it say 4000 He goes, oh, I don't know. I said, you told me 1500 and the notary's there looking absolutely terrified while trying to remain professional. But I saw her facial expression change and I can see in her eyes that she was scared. I could tell that she thought we were going to fight right in front of her. I didn't want to create a scene, which is another way abusers control you. <laughs> he was counting on it. He was banking on me not creating a scene. Oh, wow. That was a cute pun. Unintended banking on it at the bank. Never mind. Anyway, that was totally unintentional, but I decided I didn't want to make a scene, but I wanted to let him know I called him out. I knew what he was up to. I did go ahead and sign the paper. I went back to the deacon and told him what happened. And the deacon was absolutely mortified because the deacon realized I had been right the whole time and he was wrong. And I got taken advantage of because I believed the best out of an abuser of an abuser. I didn't. I suspected him, but he did. And so it was the first time, other than my old counselor, that someone actually saw my ex-husband's true colors and I didn't do a thing. And that deacon was apologizing to me up and down. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Gwena. I didn't know he would do that. And I was like, well, he said, I forgive you, but I tried to tell you and you weren't listening to me, but it's not your fault. You haven't lived with him like I have, you know, and, and I, I forgave the deacon. It's not his fault. That's how abusers are. They convince everything that you're the crazy one as the victim. You're the one exaggerating. You're the one making things up. Um, but there are so many stories I could tell you. So those are just three examples of who not to choose for your support network or your after you decide to leave your abuser. Don't choose anyone who supports him. Don't choose anyone who believes the lies he feeds them. Don't choose anyone who believes that he's a good person, basically. <laughs> that sounds awful, but it's true. Choose support group people. Choose people for your support network. Choose people who will support you. Choose people who believe you, because I guarantee you, you're telling the truth. The other thing that I learned was that you need to believe yourself. Because your instincts are spot on. Um, this isn't biblical, but I personally very much believe, absolutely believe, I do believe that God gave us women intuition. So if your gut is telling you something, don't ignore it. Choose to believe it. Because we women, we usually have that intuition and it's almost always spot on. Yes, there are times... You know, people have told me all my life, too, that I'm paranoid, and sometimes they're right, but the majority of the time, they're wrong. The majority of the time, my intuition is spot on, and I wish it weren't. But usually, women who suspect their husband's cheating, 
Not always, but a lot of times spot on. They're spot on. You know, trust your intuition and at least check it out. Examine it. See if it's true. Don't make assumptions. Don't jump to conclusions, but check it out. I was not paranoid like people kept accusing me of. All that time, people kept telling me I was paranoid. Oh, your husband's not mean. He doesn't mean it that way. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You know? And uh, I mentioned we separated three times. And the third and final time, it was a grand total of three and a half years until the divorce was final. Three years until I finally filed for divorce. And I found out later that he went around, he had gone around telling everyone that I was the sinner because I filed for divorce. Never told anyone he strangled me. Never told anyone he suffocated me. Never told anyone he slapped me. Never told anyone he pulled me around the kitchen by my ponytail. Never told anyone, you know, you get the picture. It was all my fault because that's what narcissists do. They blame everything on the victim. Nothing's ever their fault. Here I am, the opposite, as I talked about in my scapegoating podcast the other day, where I'm blaming myself for everything. But it wasn't at all my fault. Um, and people constantly accused me of being paranoid. Once I came out about the abuse, they constantly accused me of not understanding the truth, um, of, you know, assuming wrong intentions for my husband. I don't judge anybody's motives. You know, that's for God to judge. That's not my business. I judge facts. You know, if my husband's abusing me, I'm going to judge that. I have the right to judge that. I have the biblical and moral responsibility to judge that because that's not of God. That's of the devil. You, God does not want you to want your husband to abuse you. I started to say God does not want you to allow your husband to abuse you, but that kind of when you're still in abuse, that makes you feel guilty again. And I don't want you feeling guilt. It's not your fault if your husband is abusing you. Um, if your husband tells you you're the wife or you're my wife, so you have to submit to me. No. Ephesians 5, 21 or 20 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Guess what, honey? God tells him to submit to you too. Who? In fact, it tells every Christian to submit to other Christians. It's not just the wife's job to submit to the husband. Is it the wife's job to submit to the husband? Yes, but not just the wife's job. It is also the husband's job to submit to the wife. And most people miss that. And most pastors don't preach on that. And I'll tell you what, I was watching a sermon last Sunday online for a new church I've been watching for a few weeks. And I was so incredibly very much pleasantly surprised because it's the first time in my life I've ever heard a pastor accurately quote scripture and say it's not just the wife's job to submit praise God and hallelujah excellent church you know from what I can tell I've never heard that before in my life from a pulpit ever from a pastor preaching in a sermon and it was such a huge relief. Praise God that, you know, and I hope that's starting to be the case everywhere. But I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy to hear that because that's the truth. That's what the Bible's submission actually commands. And if you don't know this, read the book of Ephesians chapter 5, but read it carefully one line at a time. You know, and we as wives, we're, we're responsible for ourselves, right? We're not responsible for what our husband does or doesn't do or whether he obeys God's commands or not. 
that's between him and God, right? But if, if he's abusing us, when he's abusing us, he has now stepped out of that marriage, that godly marriage covenant. He has broken that godly marriage covenant. And we need a support network that's going to support us in that. We need a support network that's going to say, uh, no, that's not what God's word says. That's not how a husband is to treat a wife. We need a support network that's going to support us in standing up to that. Um, Jesus stood up to the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. <laughs> he didn't tolerate the actions of the Pharisees, the ungodly actions of the Pharisees. Jesus didn't submit to the religious leaders of his day. I mean, let's be honest. He didn't. In fact, quite the opposite. He said they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. They were standing on street corners praying in order to be seen, according to the Bible. That's pride, my friends. And there's a lot of pride in abuse and abusers also. They want to be seen as good. I mean, we all want people to like us, right? But abusers, it's all about their public image. I remember um, in 2003, November of 2003, when I called the police and the pastor of the church we were attending, bless his heart, another well-meaning person came at the time. And he, I remember we were standing, he and I, we were standing in the driveway and my ex-husband was inside the house at the time talking to the police. And the pastor looked at me and he was in disbelief and shock because clearly he had a very different idea of my husband than, than the husband that I lived with at home. And that's how everyone saw him. Oh, he's so sweet. <laughs> and I remember um, the pastor looking at me and saying, not him. He's so sweet. And that was a little bit of a trigger for me. And I looked at the pastor. I said, then you live with him. <laughs> and his eyebrows raised and I could tell he was just in shock. But this is the abuser's MO. Their mission is to look good in public. So they look like the sweetest people. They're very charming. Um, they typically love bomb you when you first start dating them. So I'm a very weary of that now. If someone is a little too good to be true or seems a little too good to be true or a little too nice when you start dating them, to me, that's a red flag, you know? So... Um, I mean, we all have issues, right? But that's one thing I definitely watch out for and look out for. So you need a support network that's going to support you in all of this. Um, choose your friends wisely. And you want friends and family to put your safety and your children's safety, if you have children, you want your friends and family to put you and your, fam your children's safety above anything else. Uh, I'll tell you one more well-meaning of who not to choose to support you. We had an elder in the church. He and his wife, great people, great godly people, very naive and innocent when it comes to abuse. <laughs> well-meaning, you know, I hold no ill will against them or anyone else. Like I said, they were all doing their best and trying to help. They all had good intentions and, and I praise God for their good hearts, but they were super naive. This man happened to be the jail chaplain, and he was a good friend of my ex-husband, I found out later. He also um, 
kind of not really counseled us, but gave us advice and stuff as a couple. The night, the morning after my ex-husband strangled and suffocated me in 2003, um, I got a call from the chaplain asking me if I was going to press charges against my husband because he had strangled me the night before. He didn't say that, but he said, are you going to press charges? I was feeling completely terrified and intimidated by this man and this question because I knew he was the jail chaplain. And so I said a quick brief prayer before I answered and asked God and the Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. And what the Holy Spirit put in my mouth, I will never forget. I will always remember it. And I said, are you more concerned about whether my husband, I said his name, goes to jail or are you more concerned about the safety of the children and me? And that was exactly what I apparently needed to say for him to finally take me seriously because I had tried to tell him before and he didn't believe me. And the pastor slash jail chaplain, he was both, said, I'm sorry. And he started apologizing to me for not having believed me. I didn't even answer his question. I just said, what's more important? And so I believe that the Holy Spirit, the way he gave me to answer, the way he taught me to answer was implying you're not taking our safety seriously. And he wasn't. It was all about, is she going to press charges or not? Which means... They're not taking it seriously. They don't think the abuse was as bad as I claimed it to be. But you know what, my friends? The police officer showed me the strangle marks on my neck in the mirror that night. I saw them with my own eyes. The police officers, everyone witnessed the strangle marks on my neck if they just opened their eyes and stopped believing the lie of a public image that my ex-husband and I had portrayed of him. Um, so those are some well-meaning people that you do not want to choose as your support network. So unfortunately, you're going to have to be very wise about who you pick. And if you call like an agency like the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline, or you call or contact like the YWCA, the Young Women's Christians Association in your area, if you have um, organizations like that, and I know this podcast, I'm Grateful to God, has grown to be in, listened to in 13 different countries now. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I love that it's hopefully helping some of you. Um, I don't know what the resources are in your country because I don't live there, and I'm sorry for that. But I would encourage you to do some research and find that on your own in a way that your abuser won't find out. You know, stay safe while you're looking. Maybe go to a public library and use someone else's computer or something. I don't know. But don't use your own email if your abuser can track it. I want you to stay safe. And yes, there are extremely dangerous abusers who track your phone. They, they, they tag your car with a GPS you don't know about. I'm not trying to make you scared or paranoid, but I also want you to be wise because the Bible tells us to be Gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent at the same time, you know, and we have to be wise, unfortunately, when we're being abused. And that's part of why we're being abused is because we're kind, empathetic, and so naive, right? So unfortunately, we're being forced to learn. We have to learn. So just be wise and make sure that your abuser can't track your conversations is what I'm saying. He can't record them. He can't hear them. He can't see them. He can't tag your car. He can't, you know, and assume the worst, 
because I'd rather have you safe, assuming the worst, you know, but you've got to be wise about it and not discuss this with your abuser. Because I know the temptation, especially when you discover something bad about them, you want to confront them. And that's not always the wisest idea because I don't want you to get hurt again. I don't want you to get abused because you confronted him when you were by yourself or there was no one there to keep you safe. Um, so do not choose those kinds of people for your support network. Do not choose someone who will go straight back to your abuser and tell them what you said. Obviously, his family would be a bad choice most of the time. I would just assume that his family would be a bad choice. They're, he's their family. You're not. So they're going to go straight to him. Um, and, and I'd made that mistake once. I told his mother what he had done. And at first, she didn't believe me. And I said, ask him yourself. And he did tell the truth and said he did. That was the time he slapped me in the cheek. We were in Mexico visiting his family and in the face and the on the cheek and the face. And of course, then once he finally admitted it, then she, of course, got on his case about it. But all she did was yell at him. I mean, I don't know what else she could have done, but like what that didn't do anything to him, you know, um, and he abuses because he was abused. But now he's an adult and he's making that choice. I was abused. I was hit and other things, but I don't go around hitting people just because you were abused doesn't mean you have to abuse. So in your support network, make sure you choose wisely. Choose people who will support you. Like, for example, my friend Carol, who told me she was concerned about my safety. It's those kinds of people you want to be in your support network. My counselor, who believed me, was one of the first people to believe me, um, who told me or who who pushed my ex-husband, you know, into acting with him the way he acted with me. Choose your support network wisely. Again, as I said at the end of part one's podcast episode, pray about it. Ask God to lead, guide, and direct you in the choice of your support network. And he will. He will answer your prayer. God promises us in the book of James that if we ask for wisdom, he will grant it to us. And he tells us that we have to believe him in that. So believe God that he will do that and he will answer your prayer. I believe that with all my heart and soul. And um, so those are some of the things of who not to choose for your support network. Because you're going to need people because it's not going to be easy. But I'll tell you what. <laughs> In my case, leaving my abuser was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do, but it was way easier than being physically, et cetera, abused a minimum of every six months. And the rewards far surpassed the risks. I finally had freedom. I finally had peace. Um, I was able to start healing because when I was still with my ex-husband, my abusive ex-husband, I would start to heal, but then he would abuse me again and I would be back in the same. I could never completely complete my healing because I was always being subjected to his abuse. You know, it's almost like I would take two, I would take two steps forward and about 10 steps back and it was awful. But you know, I'm so much healthier now. Not perfect. I never will be because once you're abused, there's a trauma there for life and it doesn't go. It, I don't care what anybody says unless Jesus miraculously releases you suddenly from it. That, that's never going to go completely away. You know, I could be wrong, but, you know, it's something that is always there. But you can use it as the Bible says, you can use your experience then to comfort others with the same comfort God's given you, just like I'm doing now. 
you know, and you will find that God will use you and he will use your story to bless others when you're finally in a position to be able to do so where it doesn't cost you so much. And, you know, you don't have to wait for that. God can use us in the midst of our circumstances and he does use us in the midst of our circumstances. Um, so choose your support network wisely and be very, very careful because some people will try to take advantage of the fact that you've been abused um, when they find it out. Don't give your pearls to swine is the way the Bible puts it. You got to be very careful and wise about who you choose to tell your story, which is part of why it's not my favorite thing to put all this in vulnerability on my podcast. But this is something God's calling me to do. Um, and I'm walking, doing my best to walk in obedience because it's going to help someone. And I truly believe that. And I know it has helped people because people have, you know, um, to God's glory, not mine, um, because people have messaged me and told me how much it helps. And people have messaged me and asked me to speak on certain topics, which you're always welcome to do. You can find me on Facebook. It's my same name. Um, yeah. So choose your support network wisely. And there may be people that God directs in your path um, that I haven't mentioned uh, one of my most supportive people is a counselor who specializes in narcissists. And I have learned so much from this person. Um, I've also learned, you know, I've also been, God's given me confidence through this person in my natural abilities. And those natural abilities were squelched, were being squelched when I was being abused. And the enemy was using the abuse of me by my ex-husband to prevent me from walking in God's purpose and calling in my life and the ministry he had planned for me. I have since learned not only am I a teacher and a prophetess, but apparently I have counseling giftings too. You know, these are things I never would have known had I never walked away from my abusive marriage. I never would have discovered the gifts God put in me. My talents, my God-given talents would have never come to fruition. At least not like they are now. You know, and some, I'm human. Sometimes I make mistakes and I sin and I have to repent and ask God to forgive me. And I do. And, you know, my sin saddens me because I love Jesus and I don't want to hurt him or offend him. Um, but I'm talking about abuse and that you need to not allow your husband to abuse you. I'm not saying it's your fault again, but you need a support group that's going to help you walk through that. The members of your support group should be supportive to you. The members of your support group should back you up. The members of your support group should tell you that they are concerned for your safety and they should communicate with their actions and words to you that they are concerned for your safety. Thanks for listening. Please let me know if you have questions. I'm going to post a comment section on this uh, podcast recording, um, or I may post a question, whatever it lets me do. I'll have to look at that. And I would very much like to hear back from you. Um, you know, I learn from you too. I'm a teacher. I tell my students all the time, I don't just teach you. I learn from you also. 
that's my favorite thing is when we learn from each other. Um, because I'm older, but like my grandma said, we never stop learning as long as we're alive, as long as our, you know, physical bodies are alive. Um, but I will tell you, it's not God's will for you to be abused. And if the abuse continues and is allowed to escalate, which I didn't believe it would, but it absolutely did for me. And people tried to tell me when I finally talked about it and I didn't listen. I was in denial. Oh, well, anything, everything's possible with God. That's true. But he chose not to change. And that was his choice. And I can't force him to make the right choice, right? I can't force him to stop abusing me, but I can control how I react to it. And the Bible says, and this is probably going to be one of my next topics. This is a really rough topic and it's debated in a lot of Christian circles, but does God allow divorce for abuse? And I believe, yes, he absolutely does because it's the abuse has already broken the covenant. You're not the one breaking that allegedly, supposedly godly marriage covenant. When your husband abuses you, He's breaking that covenant. He's not following God's commands and treating you as he's been commanded, as God wants him to. And I'm not talking about, oh, my husband won't vacuum for me, like that dumb counselor said. She was dumb. <laughs> that was ridiculous. That was absolutely ridiculous. I'm talking about real abuse. It's not okay. And it real ab abuse has no place in a believer's life. And especially in a husband's life towards a wife. The Bible says the woman, the wife is the weaker sex. That doesn't mean weak or inferior. That means he's supposed to cover her. He's supposed to wash her with God's word, the husband. And when a husband's abusing the wife, that's the exact opposite of what he's commanded to. So um, please choose Godly Support Network. And I commend you. I'm proud of you for making a decision for one, admitting that you are being abused for two, because that's a hard thing to admit for two. I'm proud of you for making a decision to escape the abuse. And for three, I'm proud of you for researching it and being wise as a serpent in how you choose your support network. Thanks for listening. I love you. But remember, Jesus loves you more. God bless you till next time.